Well, we are talking about Hope Alive. We've been in this uh, series, uh, and we're going to be bringing it, I think, to a close today. And uh, the theme has been, as you see there, Hope Alive, because you remember in chapter 1, are you with it? You got your Bible ready? Get your Bible ready. And, or if you're using an app, do that. Just silence all the, the notifications that distract you, okay? So let's focus in here for a little bit uh, because I know God's word is going to speak. But uh, we were called in the first chapter, you remember, to a living hope, right? We're to a hope that is alive and joy unspeakable even as we walk by faith in the midst of struggles and suffering. Because the whole context of this letter has been to people who are going through all kinds of struggles and intense trials. And there is increasing persecution and bad times that are happening. And in the midst of that, the theme is hope that is alive and just won't die. And joy unspeakable, amen, and full of glory, right? Uh, this joyful, this hope is a joyful anticipation that we all have of God fulfilling everything that he has said, everything that he has promised. And that motivates us, right? As we walk by faith, as we walk by faith in him, and faith in his love, faith Hope and love, right? He loved us so much he gave his son to die on the cross for our sins. We have faith in him and it produces a hope that is alive and it motivates us to keep going and to finish strong. Because frankly, he wouldn't be saying this if the temptation wasn't real that we all have sometimes to just give up. You know? You don't even want to know. You would lose all confidence in me if you knew how many times that that battle comes up it does it does we all feel that from time to time that's why we need the word of god that's why we need to uh, come together that's why we need brothers and sisters that's why we need to be praying together and fellowshipping together and equipping each other through the word so here's what i want you to see uh that in this passage we're going to finish strong that glory is all the way through it all the way through this passage. So we're going to get some insight to key principles that we need to have if we're going to have, if we're going to walk on the road to the real road to glory. Uh, and you see it all the way through this passage, especially in verse 10. Look, I'm going to just, I'm just going to jump in here at verse 10. I'm not going to put all these verses up there. Uh, so you're going to have to have your Bible ready. Some of them I really want us to pay attention to. So I will, so we can see it, we can hear it. We're going to interact with all the senses we have to compete with all the distractions that the enemy tries to provide, right? Okay. So he says in verse 10, after you have suffered a little while, all right? So this is after. We're on the road right now, right? And sometimes while we're on the road, it doesn't seem so glorious. It's the glory road. I'm going to just uh, leave this right here. Look, I need some freedom, okay? Uh, it, it, so it doesn't seem so glorious at the moment, right? So you got to understand it is the road to glory, to heaven. And that's at the end of the road. I mean, it's the best life you can have. It's the most awesome existence you could ever have. But there are times it doesn't seem so glorious. So that's why he says, after you have suffered, and he calls our whole life a little while. Well, compared to forever, I reckon soul, right? After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, that is the God, all grace that exists comes from him. He is the source of all of it. He is the Lord of all of it. It says, who has called you to his what? His what? His eternal glory. So he's not just calling us to glory. He's calling us to his glory. 
That's better than anything else you could come up with. His glory, and not just his glory, but his forever glory, his eternal glory. Do you see that? We're just unpacking this verse already right here. The word of God is so alive and powerful. In Christ, you only have that because he loved you first so much though you were a sinner that he gave his son, that Jesus came and paid the price for your sins. So it's in Christ that you can be in Christ when you trust him and are saved. Now, he says that he's going to, he's called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Listen to this. Will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. He himself. Now, some of the older translations ignore that Greek word autos that's in that text. And that translate is a personal pronoun. But what he's telling us, he's not just going to see to it that this happens and that you, you, you share in his glory, that you're going to be restored, confirmed, strengthened, established, and all that. But it says that he's not just going to see to it happens. He personally, himself, is going to do this in your life. It's personal. He himself. I don't know. I get all excited about that. So, okay, okay. Let's settle down a little bit and get back in here. Let's take a deep breath. I guess just don't breathe on anybody else, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I'm glad we, you know, we've kind of got a little barrier here. So, anyway. Uh, but I can tell you this. Going through this book, verse by verse, which is one of my favorite ways of preaching and teaching, uh, it has not been a haphazard thing that we have done. I don't know what your thoughts are, but I can tell you what my thoughts are. It's a result of being burdened by what we're going through at this time of life. At this time, I felt led that we need to study, that we need to bring out what is taught here. We need to understand it, and we need to apply it. We need to teach it. We need to proclaim, preach it. Because these are difficult days in which we live, confusing days. Honestly, though, we don't know much about suffering or persecution where we live compared to a lot of people in the world all around. Okay? We really don't. However, that's them and this is me, huh? I mean, this is our life. This is our existence. I know people have it worse, but this is my life and this is what I'm going through. And sometimes it gets pretty difficult and confusing. So, uh, and I need help. Amen? And I need hope. And I need holiness, and all of that has to come from my relationship with the Lord. I can't get it on my own if I'm going to keep trusting, if I'm going to do what he says, keep trusting my soul to a faithful creator while doing good. So Peter is wrapping up this. Are you still with me? And just ask, you know, just making sure you're not getting zoned out or something here. So, so Peter is wrapping this letter up, and he starts off addressing the elders. Did you notice that? The leaders. So he starts there. But the best manuscripts of the Greek have a little word that some translations don't bother to even translate. But it's there, and I believe every word of this book is inspired by God. And I believe I need to look and see what these words mean. There's a little word that is in there in the best manuscripts. And it's a little Greek word that is often used conjunctionally as a conjunction. It is a particle expressing sequence or consequence. It's often used in a continuing narrative. Some translations just don't really bother to translate it, but it's there. You could translate it, therefore, or so then, or because of this. That's how actually this starts. And here in the ESV, it says, so I exhort you, elders. So 
So what? Huh? I mean, if it's there, it's connecting, and it usually indicates a continuing narrative, sequence, or consequence. That's important. What is this telling me? It's telling me this connects to what he just said. You do understand that the chapter breaks and the verse breaks. That was later put in by man. Those aren't inspired by God. It just helps us find our way through passages easier, right? You, you know that. And so what I want to do is I want to find out why is he saying it? It's important that we recognize that this closing statement here is connected to what he just said in the last part, the last verse of chapter 4. And I'll just throw that up there so you can see it, okay? I said I was. Oh, I went too far. Man, hold on. Man, I am. We got a delay here, and I over-clicked this thing. There it is. Verse 19 says, Therefore let those... He kind of summed up some thoughts here. Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will... I mean, sometimes it is God's will that we go through tough times. He's been talking about that. I don't like it. You don't like it. I'm just going to here to tell you the truth. Sometimes it is. Now... A lot of times, probably the most of the suffering we have comes because of, of dumb things we've done and bad choices we've made. It's called consequences. But there are times you do everything right and you're loving everybody and you're loving God and still tough times will come and people will treat you bad even though you're doing good. So those who suffer according to God's will, it says, let them entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Did you catch all of that? I know we talked about it last week where he summed things up like this. Keep walking by faith. Keep entrusting your soul to God. Keep walking by faith. Trusting him. That means from the very depths of your heart. God has not forgotten you. Somebody need to hear that today. God has not forgotten you. He is a faithful creator. He made everything and he is in Control and sovereign over everything. He's still in charge. So, here's what he's saying as we sum it up. <laughs> Sorry about that. Keep on living a life of trusting him. Even though things get rough and you don't understand it all. That's, that's the context. That's the so. So, yeah. In light of this... He goes right. So leaders, in light of what I just said, leaders keep leading and keep doing it God's way. He's already reminded us that all of us in chapter 4 verse 10 have received gifts from God's buried grace. It covers the whole spectrum of everything that we need. It comes from him. And he emphasizes here in this passage that true humility is a big part of being on the road to glory. True humility and even when you, the reason why I need to hear that, because you know what? Even when you're suffering, even when you're going through tough times, it is possible to actually become focused on your sufferings more than you're focused on God and become proud of your suffering and conceited about your sacrifice. Oh, what I'm going through. It's all me. And if I watch out, all of a sudden my focus isn't on God, it's on me. So, all right. First of all, let's run through this. You ready? Get your running shoes on. we got to get through this, all right? And, and, and we're going to meet at 6 o'clock tonight. Just, this is first, first Sunday. Uh, we don't meet every evening, but tonight, 6 o'clock. We're going we're gonna to meet for just a very, I promise you, a short time to just kind of run and go back over a little bit of this uh, tonight and worship and pray together. All right, so uh, let's get through this now because we, we can't just, I mean, it's so vast. We could spend weeks here, but... We're just going to go through it, and it's up to you to just keep absorbing it and keep applying it to your life, right? 
Uh, I'm not here to put on a show or entertain. We're here to get word of God so that the Holy Spirit can apply this to our lives and mold and shape and change us and empower us, convict us, whatever he needs to do, all right? So a uh, word to the leaders, first of all. So this is a big part of all of us traveling this road. Elders, he says. Now, you notice there are three things here. Are you watching this? Elders indicates those who are mature leaders. In fact, did you notice there are these three words here? Elders, shepherds, and overseers, you might say. You might be familiar with these words. Elder, it comes from the Greek word presbyteros. We get the word presbytery from that. And it is a word that literally means mature. It doesn't necessarily mean old in age, but spiritually mature. Uh, and did you notice that that word is in the plural there? That there is to be a plurality of godly leaders. It's not a one-person show. Because it's usually more than one can handle. And we need the accountability and the community together. There really should be a plurality of leaders. Elders, he says, to this church. And then in verse 2, if you look at it, he goes on through here. And he says, literally here, he says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Did you see that? So um, the root word for shepherd is the, the root word of the Greek word is poimen, which literally means, guess what? Shepherd. Shepherd. Oh, we get a word from that as well. Our word comes from a Latin word in English. Our English word comes from a Latin word that means, guess what? You guessed it, shepherd. It's the word pastor. So he's saying here, we might could even say shepherd the flock of God. He's saying pastor the flock of God. That's what that word is. That's what that word means. It means to shepherd. And then he says, uh, shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight. Now that word is episcopio, which uh, the noun form of that, that's a verb. The, I'm just trying to tell you because I believe every bit of this is inspired. This is what, how we unpack it. Is that the noun form of that word is episkopos, which literally means overseer. It is often translated in the Bible, in our English Bible, as bishop. So right here, you've heard these words like, well, our church has elders. Our church has pastors. Well, our church doesn't have none of that. We've got bishops. Okay, so I, what I want you to see here is that Peter actually uses all three of these words to apply to the same people. They are elders who pastor and bishop or oversee. So all three of those words are applied to the same. This is just something I think you need to know. Uh, he uses it. So they're overseer or watching over them. Oh, by the way, can I just give you a little more Bible lesson on this? Oh, thank you, thank you. Because I thought, maybe you don't care. We'll just skip that part. No, we can't. Uh, Paul actually used this too. In Acts chapter 20, when he was on his way back to Jerusalem, and he wanted to meet with some of the leaders from the church in Ephesus, they, it says in Acts 20, verse 17, it says, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders. There it is, and it's plural. Do you see it? Same word, of the church to come to him. And then he met with them. And later on, here's what he tells them in verse 28. So you go down to verse 28 in Acts chapter 20. And he says this to the elders. Pay careful attention to yourselves. Watch yourself. Better check yourself. Don't wreck yourself. Okay. He says, watch yourselves and to the flock. He's using this imagery again. To the flock. He says, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. There's that word again. That can be translated bishops. And then he says to care, or in some translations it says to feed, uh, or to tend. 
I mean, the, for the church of God. So basically what he's saying is has made you overseers, bishops. And that word care, guess what? That's the exact same Greek word uh, at its root that is translated shepherd in where we just read. Because see, when I'm reading a word, I want to know how this same word is used other places. Because context is what it's all about, right? That's how you know if we've got this right. And that's that same word in the Greek that means to shepherd. So he's saying the Holy Spirit made you overseers, shepherding the church of God, which he, it's his, right? It's not yours. He obtained with his own blood. So Paul does that too. He uses all three words to apply to the same people. So many people, I think, don't have a biblical understanding of what the role of an elder, pastor, bishop, overseer, watching over souls. I don't think we have a biblical perspective of what that's really about, you know? Because you might say, well, you're biased. You just don't understand me. That's what the problem is. Huh? No, we don't understand ourselves. Uh, yeah, so basically you got that uh, just from a moment ago, that um, uh, pastor means a shepherd or teacher. Oh, I had one more verse there. I'm sorry. I've got to uh, show you another place where Paul mentioned this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. You remember that? He's talking about the, the gifts and the callings. He says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. There's the same word again. In the original grammar of that, in the Greek, that pastors and teachers seem to be connected like he's a shepherd teacher. Somebody say, well, you're more of a you're more of a teacher than a preacher. What does that even mean? Because if somebody's proclaiming and preaching something, if he's not teaching something, then it ain't biblical preaching. And I probably shouldn't use ain't if I'm going to have good grammar, but I'm sorry, it just sounds better. Okay? So he says he gave pastors, teachers. Why? Why are we here? What's our purpose? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Well, preacher, what are we paying you for? I thought we was paying you to do all the work of the ministry. No, no, no. Actually, my job is to help equip all of us to do the work of the ministry and to build up the whole body of Christ. All right, all right. Man, I, boy, that is, that is powerful stuff. All right, so too often we get caught up in styles, do we not? Styles of speaking and personalities, right? Personal preferences rather than biblical understanding. And I worry, for some people, it kind of becomes some kind of weird sort of spiritual entertainment. Well, boy, that's the kind of preaching I like. <sighs> and usually when you say that, it has to do with a personality or a style, right? Because I, I, you know, oh, uh, I, I can go a lot of directions here, but I'm not going to. Okay, dial it in, dial it in. Okay, I'm talking to myself right in front of you. Actually, I think the Lord's telling me that. So, so the thing about it is, is, is uh, some of the preaching that I'm in teaching that I most need to hear may not be so likable. Huh? Right? Because I can tell you that, that my spiritual food, you know, that's what that is. The physical food that I eat, some of the food that I like to eat the most is not that healthy. Right? Need your veggies. And that's part of the shepherd pastor's job is, you know, this may not, you may not like this, but it's good for you. If you're going to be healthy and have a balanced diet, you need this, okay? 
So sometimes we get the wrong idea and, you know, we just, you know. So people adhere to a particular style they prefer. Maybe it's just something emotional on their favorite topic. Got my little favorite topics. Got my little favorite verses. As long as you just stick to that, boy, I like it. But then you start meddling in other things. We got problems, right? That happens sometimes. A big part of the responsibility of the pastor is to know the sheep, right? That's a big responsibility that a shepherd has is to know the fellow sheep because he also is a sheep and see that we are all moving in the right direction and partaking of a healthy diet, which, as I said, might not always mean a comfortable journey or a tasty diet, all right? So two principles jump out here as we go into this. Uh, There are two principles. First of all, I see here is an absence of pride, and then I see a presence of a shepherd's heart. All the way through this, he's talking about... He, he, and notice how Peter identifies with them. To the elders, he says, I'm a fellow elder. He was also a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Do you ever think about that? We talk about how Jesus suffered for us, but Peter actually saw it. We try to imagine how bad it was, but he saw it. But he's a fellow elder. Now, he could have said, uh, oh yeah, and also an apostle directly sent out by Jesus, uh, spent three years with him, was there at the crucifixion, spent time with the resurrected Jesus, and I was sent out by the resurrected Jesus. He doesn't mention any of that. He calls himself a fellow elder. I'm one of you, okay? I like that. That shows humility, right? He's modeling it for us right here. And so he doesn't appeal to position. And he says we're to be examples. We're not to be domineering. And in verse 5, if you notice, he said not just the younger, but he said all of us. He says that all of you, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. So humility has got to be a big part of it. If you're arrogant and all that, you, you really can't. You can't be effective. you got to be humble. There's an absence of pride. There's a presence of humility. And remember, he tells us in verse 5, he says, he quotes, James quotes it as well in his letter, God opposes the proud. There's a lot of other things we worry about. Oh, no. But listen, that sin of just being proud, and I can do it on my own, no thank you, Lord. God says, That repels me. I oppose that. I'm not just disappointed in that. I oppose it. That that gets to me. Pride. That that gets to me because pride sneaks in sometimes. Right? Hey, sometimes we got to fight this all the time. Huh? I mean... You guys look so holy sitting there like, well, I guess our pastor's got a lot of struggles. He does. I promise you. And you know, just every little bit, that whole thought just comes up from the flesh. What about me? Huh? Right? Okay. So this is a continual battle that we have. And if you're going to be a pastor, you've got to continue to stay on this. And then the presence of a shepherd's heart. Notice that you shepherd the flock of God among you. Notice he didn't say under you. It's among you because you are also, remember, one of the fellow sheep. Right? Yeah. And it all belongs to God. Not my flock. It's his. Okay? Christ is the chief shepherd. We're all under him. And so we are 
we are working together. So, but this must be a calling of the heart. You know, uh, it's a calling. We believe God gifts and calls. If he's going to call you to do something, he's going to gift you to do it. Here's the thing, is that um, we don't spend enough time mentoring and training. Paul told Timothy to stir up, to fan into flame the gift and the calling that he had. That means that if God's called you, you can't just say, well, I'm just going to, I'm not going to study, prepare, or learn, or do anything. I'm just going to get up there, and the Lord's just going to show me. He says, I'm trying to show you every day of your life, and you're not paying attention, okay? So there, there, there really is sometimes a short, shortage of, of mentoring and training and preparing for pastors. I'm just, you know, you're saying, well, why are you telling me this? You need to know this, okay? Uh, and, uh, but on the other hand, there's no amount of training or educating that can do it all because it relies on the Holy Spirit's work inside of us. And um, so it can't all be even trained or mentored. Uh, it, the Holy Spirit has to do a work in us and to season us and to teach us and to mold us uh, through the years. And unless a person has a heart of a shepherd, and let me tell you, one of the things I learned early on is that if you're going to be a shepherd, you got to be able to deal with the stench of the sheep. I mean, have any of you guys on farm ever had sheep or goats? They are not only not very smart, they stink. At times, sometimes it gets stinky. I mean, okay, let's move on. Uh, so the thing about it is, I, I've seen many guys that may be called to do something else, and they try to pastor. If you don't have the if you don't have the heart of a shepherd, at some point it's just going to be futile. I mean, it's like the old saying: it's like trying to teach a pig to sing. All it does is it annoys the pig, uh, and it wastes your time. Right, right. So anyway, all right, this is what he's saying to leaders, and this is we're all in this together. But we got so leadership in the Bible. Listen to me: leadership in the Bible does not equate with power; it equates with responsibility. Okay, you're more responsible. So three then also, not just two principles there, but there's three attitudes that pop out here. So he says this. He says that you shepherd the flock of God, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. willingly. So there must be willingness, not compulsion. That is like you feel forced to do it. But I see submission here. I see where this person needs to submit and humble themselves. Uh, and, and can I say this? The flock also needs to be patient with the pastor. I'm going to put in a plug for pastors here, okay? You do. I mean, we're just learning, growing, and we're fallible. We're, we're, we're just one of you, you know? We mess up all the time. And think about your expectations that you may have. Now, I'm not just talking to you guys because it concerns me, but if anybody out there and, and you know, whoever else, okay? I'm just saying this in general. Just think about your expectations that you have of the pastor, and then you multiply that by however many people worship here. Okay. Now, having said that, I want to be careful because if you have the heart of the shepherd, you don't want anybody to say, well, I got this problem, but I don't want to bother him because I know he's got all... You know. I, th th that would hurt as well. You know what I'm saying? But I'm just saying that's why it needs to be a plurality of leaders because there's more than one person can handle. But there needs to be a willingness. And then an eagerness. Did you notice the next thing that he said? He said, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Uh, there's enthusiasm, not greed or covetousness. You don't use this to rip people off or take advantage or manipulate people. You don't try to get special perks. The, king, the old King James, that phrase is translated filthy lucre. Not for filthy lucre. You say that now and every young person says, what did you just say? And that's what he just is, is mentioning here. Shameful gain. You're money hungry. You're looking to see what you can get out of it. There's plenty of shepherds out there that are just fleecing the sheep. 
not feeding the sheep. Okay. And then meekness. You see that there as well. Here's what he says. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples. Did you see that there in that verse? Humility. Not dominating. Not lording it over them in God's kingdom. You know, that authority equals responsibility. And we're not to manipulate to get our way. Uh, the best thing that a pastor, a minister, a leader can do is live a life of authenticity and accountability and humility. We're to be examples of living out what we're talking about. And you're going to see me struggle as I live it out just like you do. And uh, so Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. So we're really just following Christ, but I want to be an example. And then think about the rewards. It says the chief shepherd will soon appear. He reminds them in verse 4 that and when the chief shepherd... All right, we got to answer to him. I've got to answer to him. And I've got to am accountable to you. But let me tell you, I'm a little more concerned about having to answer to him. So whenever we're doing something together and you're counting on me to hold things in confidence and things like that, it's just not you I'm accountable to. It's the chief shepherd, and he's going to appear someday. But that day can be a glorious day. This is part of that glory road we're talking about, that even though it's tough and even though it's difficult, when the chief shepherd appears, guess what's going to happen? You stay strong. He's telling these leaders, you guys are suffering. You guys are struggling. Don't give up. Now, you need to do things right, but don't give up. Because when the chief shepherd appears, you're going to, you see that? He said, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You don't have it now. We're focused on being faithful now and trusting him now while doing good. And that will be later. But, but that's the hope. huh? Do you see the hope there? That's what moves us forward. It's that anticipation. It's the hope. Paul said in Romans 8, why do you hope for something that you have? It has to do with parts that we haven't received yet. Keeps us motivated. Got to see a bigger perspective. Don't just get honed in on what's going on right now. Lord, I needed to hear that. Okay. Yes. It leads to glory. All right. Now, a word to everyone. Oh, we got to move. And this focuses on humility and submission. In verse 5, because he says, he ends that thought with, all of you, be clothed, all of you, clothe yourselves in humility toward one another. All of you. Younger, he puts a little word in there for the young guys. Why? Because some of the younger guys who are growing and may become leaders, you know, it's easy for the young guys to get just kind of thinking they're all that, right? You know? You get to thinking, well, you know, after a while you get beat down a little bit, huh? But the young guys especially need to pay attention because you get to thinking you're a little more than what you ought to sometimes, maybe. Uh, and so he gives a little special word there. Younger, be subject to the elders, man. They've been down that road and they say something. They, they, they know what they're talking about, okay? And he says, all of you clothe yourselves in humility toward one another. God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. He's quoting that from Old Testament, and that was pretty well-known saying. So uh, be willing to submit and humble yourself. Because pride is one of the biggest barriers and one of the biggest sins. Uh, humility and submission in our lives, this starts of putting others ahead of ourselves. Valuing them as much more than we value ourselves. We can stop right there and say, oh, Lord, help us. We got work to do. Amen. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. How many people out there that don't know anything about the Lord are seeing us do that? And then he said to his disciples, he says, 
in John 13 to love one another like I've loved you. I mean, <laughs> we got to start with just trying to love our neighbor. That's anybody we come in contact, in contact with as much as we love ourselves. But then we're supposed to love one another as much as Jesus loved us. Wow. Oh, and by the way, that comes up again when he talks about how much husbands are to love their wives. Okay. Um, it starts with the Lord. Verse 6. Humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. Look at it. Look at it right there. Verse 6. I'm not put up there. Go to Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that the proper time he may exalt you. This is a secret to victory over the enemy both within and without. Here's our hope again that at the proper time he will lift us up. He will do it. When God lifts you up, ain't nobody going to be able to put you down. It's implied there, quit trying to lift yourself up. You know? He will lift you up. You humble yourself under his mighty hand. Did you forget God has a mighty hand? It's especially true concerning our sufferings and hurts because as it says there, even though you might even be the victim, and a lot of our hurts are because we brought them on ourselves, but there are times that you're going to be hurt, that you're going to be mistreated unjustly, unfairly. You will be the victim. And you know, even if that's the case, if we're not careful, the hurts you've experienced can take over your life. It can become the focus of everything about you and to the point that you would wonder that if your problem, if your burden was gone, would you have anything left because you focused everything just on the hurt? And more than you have focused on the Lord. So we have to watch that. That, that is pride coming in the back door in a weird way. Uh, we, 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 it can sneak in on us. So notice the context of this passage. Peter's instructed us to humble ourselves. This is even one of the first steps in salvation. We have to humble ourselves. That's involved in repentance. As I acknowledge that what he says is true. I take ownership of the fact that I'm a sinner. And I'm willing to turn from trusting myself to trusting him. Um, and we need to... Realize that it's under the mighty hand. He has a mighty hand. The mighty hand of God. And I'm to fully acknowledge who he is. And here's what I found out in my life. I want to put that up there so you can look at it as well as hear it. One reason why we, I'm throwing you in there too. Can I throw you under that? I should have said me, but I think I'm not the only one. One reason we cling to our hurts is, truth be told, we just don't trust God enough with them. I know he's there, I know he cares, but I just, Lord, if I let go of this, I'm not sure you'll handle it the way I want you to handle it. We just want to hang on to it. We're just not, and that's faith. We're not walking by faith like we should. We're not trusting him like we should. We forget his mighty hand. The promise is that he will lift you up. Don't forget that. This is part of the trust we have in him, that he will take care of our every need. So he says... Casting, verse 7, are you looking at it? All your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So how am I to do this? Well, listen, I want to tell you something. There's really just one command in that verse, in these two verses. I always thought there were two. Humble yourselves and then cast all your cares, your anxieties, your worries. There's not two. There's really just one command. And if you really look at it, it's humble yourself before God. That's the command. Are you listening? Come on. Don't be a bone here. Amen? Okay, yeah, okay. There's one command. The Greek grammar supports this. 
Humble yourself before God is the command. And then verse 7 tells us how to do it. Humble yourself by casting your worries, anxieties, cares on him. That's how you hum- That's one of the ways you humble yourself. By doing this. By casting. Now to cast means more than just release. It means just not just to let it go. It means to throw them. It means to fling them. Get it out of here. You need to give them a heave out of there. It's not like casting, uh, you know, your fishing pole where you're throwing the bait out there and then you just reel it back in. I don't know why I can't get rid of this, but you're just reeling it back in and you're not catching anything but trouble. So the word for cares here that, you know, some translations, I like saying it that way. Cast your cares on him for he cares for you. That sounds real good. But the word that is sometimes translated cares is a word that literally means anxieties or worries. In the Greek, it is a word that means to be divided. Did you catch that? It means to be divided. It is used, where else was this word used? Well, this word was used in the parable that Jesus taught about the seed falling into the thorny ground with the weeds. And it says that the cares of this world choked out the seed. Why? Because you get divided. Your attention isn't on the Lord. Um, we, 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 when we get these kind of cares, it divides our attention. We focus more on those things. We focus more on ourselves. And we begin to forget about his mighty hand. That's what he's talking about. Those worries, those anxieties. Uh, so I like the way that flows when I say cares. But it is talking about those kinds of things. The reason you humble yourself under his mighty hands and throw your worries away and your cares on him is, he tells us, because he cares for you. Now, that word translated care there is a whole different word, and it literally means to highly value something. And that's what he's wanting you to know, because he highly values, treasures you. You are precious to him. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? You are precious to him. You're like the apple of his eye, he tells us. He tells us that he loved you so much and the whole world, but you so much that he gave his only begotten son for you. I have people say that, I just don't feel like God loves me. I just don't feel very important and all that. And it comes down to a point is, do you even really have faith and believe in the word of God? Instead of just going by how we feel, right? Because sometimes I don't feel it, but do you believe it? Do you have faith in it? Because his word says it. Are you going to trust it? So, Then he says that you do this and to be, verse 8, sober-minded, be watchful, keep a clear head. And you need to be because there is an enemy out there, the devil. And he's like prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to desire. He says this in the context, not just of all the worldly things that we could get into, but of our own divided attention and worries and fears and things like that. He wants to get a hold of any of that too. And he's prowling, he's watching. So you need to be aware of that. And so here comes another command. Humble yourselves before God. And then verse 9, the next command, resist. Resist him, firm in the faith. You stand strong. You resist the devil. You be steadfast. Where do I need to be more resistant? I mean, there are some areas where it's God's mighty hand, but he's saying, I need you to resist. I need you to, you got to have some discipline. you got to make some decisions. Hey, where are some areas you need to make some decisions today to resist some things? Where are some places in your life today that you need to think about some areas that you need to back off of, some things you need to get away from, some boundaries you need to put up? What are those things? That's part of what he's talking about here, to resist him, firm in the faith. And he says, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. It kind of helps to know that I'm not the only one. See, that's part of that pride thing. Boy, nobody else knows what it's like to be me. 
Nobody else knows how bad I've got it. He says, yes, they do. Other people got it like you. You're not the only one. It helps me to not feel alone. How about you? You know, it's like when I was in school and me and some of my buddies were acting up. And back in those days, they'd take you out in the hallway and they'd take what they called the board of education. It wasn't these people that met and made decisions. It was an actual board that they would swing and, and, and uh, they would get your attention, right? right? Uh, not everybody required that. It seemed about the only thing that got my attention, right? But, you know, sometimes me and some of the guys have been in trouble. And I, being because of my big mouth, I would get caught and I would get singled out, moon, out in the hall. And, uh, you know, the thing you want to do is like, but, but, but these, you know, because it's like I'm, gonna, I'm not going to like what I'm going to get. But if, if I know these guys are getting it too, it just helps a little bit, right? So you try to drag your friends in it. I think that's what the devil's up to, don't you? He knows that the lake of fire is his eternal home and anything he can do about it because he's already rebelled against God's authority and he just wants to drag as many of the people God loves down to there as he can with him, right? I don't know. Anyway, uh, so he says resist him. There may be some things we need to think about there. Steadfast, be firm, and you're not alone. We can help, we can encourage, we can pray for one another. I know this. What Satan sends to break you, God wants to use to build you. Man. I say amen to myself right there. Amen. That is right. And the last thing is the hope fulfilled. And this is the perspective we read verse 10 to start with. After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace... God wants us to gain this perspective from studying all this. There are going to be struggles, whatever form it takes. Know that it's just for a little while, especially when compared to eternity. Then the God of all grace, the one in charge, all grace comes from him. We'll say that's enough. And he himself will call you to his eternal glory in Christ. Everything you've ever hoped for, Everything you've ever anticipated, everything you've ever imagined will be fulfilled a million times over. And it'll be forever. He will personally, himself, Altos, himself will do this. He will restore, that is complete or perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you forever. No more being tossed around, wishy-washy, weak, this is the perspective he wants to have. And it's like when he says this, he can't contain himself. Did you see verse 11? He just breaks right out into worship. He just breaks. I'm just going to turn that off because for some reason it jumped to a different slide. I don't know why it does that. Worship is what we're supposed to do. Worship. He just says to him, be dominion forever and ever. Amen. He's the Lord. He's the king. And then he just closes with some greetings. I started just to leave this out. But you know what? There are some things here. I don't know if you can. Yeah, I was going to say, Jeff, you can get that last slide up there. He needs, he's like reading my mind. Not hard to read it, probably. Here's some final thoughts as he says, Sylvanus, that is another name for Silas is short for that. You remember Silas that was partnered up with Paul? Same guy. A brother. He says, faithful. I regard him. I've written to you briefly. So it's like Silas is the one going to deliver this letter. By him, he says, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. This right here. So you see the community. He's bringing, Peter's not doing this alone. Paul's not doing this alone. Nobody can do this alone. We're part of a family. We're part of a body. And he starts talking about his brothers and sisters that are there helping him. And so he's like, um, 
uh, I'm sending him. And his testimony, my testimony is, guys, this is a real deal. This is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Keep on keeping on. And then he says, she who is at Babylon. Well, Babylon's kind of a code word that they had for Rome because Rome's starting to really watch them. And uh, they don't understand the Jews were in captivity in Babylon and Rome now uh, controls their world. Okay, so that's the parallel partly there. So he's talking about the Christians, the church there. He probably wrote this from Rome. Says they're also chosen. They're part of you. They're part of this community. They send greetings. And then Mark. Remember Mark? He's a helper and a companion to Peter. He's been a big help. He's like a son in the faith to him. Now we believe that Peter supervised the gospel that was written by Mark. Mark may have struggled with Paul and Barnabas, remember, on that first missionary journey. And he went home and abandoned them. But isn't it good to know that unlike some people today, just because you have one failure, that doesn't mean you're out. That God loves to use broken people who have messed up, who have, who have, who have, have fallen, who have stumbled or whatever. He was being used mightily by God that day. He says he's like my son. I think it's powerful. That encourages me. Because we got to see, and, and later on when it's time to go again, Paul didn't want him to go with him. Remember that? That's why Silas buddied up with him. But now you've got Paul, or you've got, you got Peter, you've got Silas, you've got Mark, you've got all these guys working together as part of that community. We need one another as we need the Lord as well. And then the last thing he says, you know, did you catch this? This is why sometimes we realize that the Bible is, is a context and everything. Uh, greet one another with a kiss of love. Uh, that means, um, we can't even shake hands too much right now, but it means be greeting each other and loving each other. Don't try to come up and kiss me. Okay? <laughs> it's like some of the other things, you know, whether we're dealing with head coverings or different things like that. It does have an application to us today, but that don't mean you've got to start kissing everybody. He's talking about showing love to each other. Did you see that last word he said? Peace to all who are in Christ. So we talk about this hope. We talk about because we have faith in the love of God, it gives us hope. And because we have hope, and even though we haven't received everything else, right now, guess what we can do? Right now, we can peace out. That's what he's saying, peace out. All the way through, you can have peace. You can have that tranquility of spirit as you're trusting God because God's got this and hope is alive. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I...